This is a Doc Network production. Welcome to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, Australia's military history told through the stories of those who have served. G'day friends and welcome back to the continuation of the life, service and legacy of Robert Harold Nimmo. But before we do, a little bit of housekeeping. Firstly, a huge thank you to everyone who has supported the podcast so far and welcome to everyone who's just joined me on this adventure. Just a reminder that the podcast now has a Discord server. I'm still setting it up and there isn't a great deal there at the moment, but there is an invite link in the episode description and it will join the Facebook page, Twitter and Instagram, as well as the website where you'll find my travels around Australia, finding the myriad of memorials that dot the countryside and the links to those will also be in the description alongside the show notes and photos. Without any further ado, a quick recap for those who are just joining us. Robert Harold Nimmo was born in 1893 in Oaks Park, Queensland, and was a part of the second intake of staff cadets to the newly raised Australian Military College Duntroon in the Federal Territory, what is now the Australian Capital Territory. An education that was cut short with the commencement of the First World War. He would go on to serve the duration of the entire conflict from December 1914 to February 1919, mostly in brigade staff positions. He would return to Australia on the 22nd of February, 1919, and by accounts, Nimmo's return was met with minimal fanfare, as he resumed his service within the permanent military force. His first appointment would be in June as the Assistant Brigade Major of the 3rd Brigade Area, 1st Military District in Brisbane, and would hold this post until the 17th of January. During this time, he also returned to his other passion, that of sport, regularly participating in district cricket, where, according to the results printed in the papers of the time, he did remarkably well. On the 18th of January, he reported for his new posting as a company commander at the Royal Military College Duntroon, where he would also serve as an instructor in cavalry and musketry. Considering the last time he was at Duntroon, it was as an officer cadet in an accelerated training and graduation program intended to get more officers into the Great War, The prospect of instructing the next generation of officers during a time of peace would have been a surreal experience for him. The other experience for Nimmo was that the career he had chosen was going through a state of flux. At its height, the Australian Imperial Force comprised roughly 416,000 personnel, of which 330,000 personnel were deployed overseas. And as it was a solely volunteer force, in 1921, when the Australian Imperial Force was disbanded, Almost all of those men happily doffed the khaki uniforms for civilian garb, and the government set the permanent force to be solely 3,150 officers and men, supported by a citizen's force of 60,000 part-time militiamen. At this time, the Chief of the General Staff, a post now simply referred to as the Chief of the Army, was a fellow light horseman, Lieutenant General Sir Harry Chevelle, a man who served as Nimmo's commanding officer during his time in the First World War as commander of the Desert Mounted Column, and also was the person who encouraged Nimmo's mother to let him join as a staff cadet at RMC Duntroon back in 1912. It would seem that most of the senior officers of this new peacetime army came from the ranks of the Light Horse, as those from the AIF seemed to go into politics. The citizens' forces would be reorganised along the lines of the AIF to maintain the legacy and battle honours of the units raised for the war to end all wars. While Nimmo was at Duntroon, the PMF was reduced once more, to only 1,600 capable personnel, responsible for maintaining the seven militia divisions, five infantry and two cavalry units, of roughly 31,000 men. This was an issue that also affected David Twining, 
who I covered very early in season one, and Gwyneth Meredith, who was the first three episodes of this season, was that while military experience was in overabundance, positions for advancement were few and far between, with the prospect of promotion being at least a decade away for most men, if ever. The other issue Nemo would have faced was that while he was a major and wore the insignia of one, he was paid as a captain. As successive Australian governments cut military budgets as Australia tried to rapidly return to a peacetime economy. A high point in this time of uncertainty was Nimmo's wedding to Joan Margaret Peggy Cunningham on the 25th of June 1921 at St John's Church of England, Darlinghurst, Sydney. Peggy was from the grazing family that owned Lanyon Station, Federal Capital Territory. The area where the station was located is now part of the suburb of Tugranon. A couple met during his time as a staff cadet and conversed during the war. They would welcome their first child, a son named James Andrew Harold Nimmo, on the 5th of July, 1922. While Nimmo was busy raising a family and instructing the next generation of officers in horsemanship and musketry, he also continued his passion for sport, playing for the first Territory representative cricket team in an Australia Day test against Cooma in 1923, while also playing for Duntroon. He would also wear the jersey of the college's rugby team, something he did at his time as a cadet. 1924 saw a number of changes for Nimmo. On the 24th of September, Nimmo's welcomed their second child, a daughter, Anne Lethbridge Nimmo, and at year's end, Major Nimmo packed up the family and moved to Victoria as his posting to RMC Duntroon would come to an end, and he'd be appointed to the post of Brigade Major to the Militia Unit, the 3rd Cavalry Brigade. For the next 12 years, Nimmo would move around the 2nd Cavalry Division, of which the 3rd Brigade was a part of, travelling around Victoria and South Australia, holding a number of different postings, namely the Brigade Major for the 3rd and 5th Cavalry Brigades, the Divisional Assistant Adjutant and Quartermaster General, as well as the Inspector General of Communications. A highlight of the and his longest continuous posting during this period was the post of aide-de-camp to the Right Honourable William Charles Archdeacon, the Lord Huntingfield, Governor of Victoria, a post he would hold from the 15th of January 1935 to the 16th of March 1937. During this time, his sporting achievements seemed to excel well above his military ones, as he would represent Australia in hockey in 1927, 1930 and 1932, while playing hockey, rugby, cricket, tennis and polo for Victoria. In 1930, he would also be ranked the best hockey player in Victoria and was also the Australian and Victorian hockey team's chief selector. 1929 would create the next change in his career as the Wall Street crash in August that year would severely affect Australia. As mentioned in episode 2 of this season where I covered the Emu War, Australia, as a primary producer of wool and wheat, saw it suffer horribly during the economic collapse that followed. Despite unemployment reaching 30%, the newly elected James Scullin Labor government slashed the military budget, which included closing RMC Duntroon and moving it to Victoria Barracks in Sydney, along with closing the Royal Naval College and moving it to the Flinders Naval Depot at HMAS Cerberus, albeit temporarily. This also coincided with the suspension of the mandatory service positions of the 1903 Defence Act, though this had more to do with the sons of Great War veterans reaching the age of service and the prevailing anti-military opinion that had taken hold of Australian society at this time that seen a plummet in men presenting for training as much as the economy which would have affected Nimmo's work within the militia. On the 16th of March 1937, 
Nemo travelled to England to attend the 54th course of the British Army's Senior Officers School, an institution established during the First World War to train senior officers in inter-service cooperation and intended for those aspiring battalion command, and would return to Australia on the 6th of June 1938. Following a period of leave, Nimmo would be attached to the 2nd Cavalry Division Headquarters as a General Staff Officer, Grade 1, and would be finally promoted after 20 years to the rank of Lieutenant Colonel, which is a very long time between drinks. This was followed by a posting to the same position at the 1st Cavalry Division in Sydney from the 17th of April 1939, where he remained posted when the Second World War broke out on Father's Day in September. Now, like all other governments following the Great War, Australia had looked into the role tanks played in the modern battlefield, but at the time lacked the industrial capacity to design and build them, and such relied on the industrial powerhouses of Great Britain and the United States for material. The Australian Army, which had initially had bad experiences operating with British tanks during the Battle of Bullecourt during the Great War, had come to realise their utility after the battles of Hamel and Amiens, and the post-war period sought to build their own armoured force. Though, as the second instance of the Australian Imperial Force was raised on the 15th of September 1939, Australia had only 14 tanks in its arsenal, and most of the cavalry units were still either partly horse-mounted or were in the process of transferring to motorised transport. It would not be until July 1940, following the successes of German armoured assault across Europe, that convinced the Australian War Cabinet to actually raise an armoured division. While still attached to the 1st Cavalry Division, tragedy would strike Nemo, as on the 10th of March, his wife Peggy would go missing, while Nemo was in exercises in Armadale, where he, like the other senior cavalry officers, were developing the concept of a modern armoured force within the Australian Army. Her car would be found abandoned in Rose Bay Heights near what is now the Watsons Bay Naval Base. Following an extensive search in that her handbag was found at the top of the notorious ocean lookout called The Gap, a location in Sydney with a notorious history as a place well known for suicides, Joan Margaret Peggy Nemo's body would be found that Thursday, the 14th of March, 1940, at the base of the cliffs. She was 43 at the age of her death. Despite the location of her death being so closely attributed with suicide, Peggy, according to her husband, was of good health and never complained of illness and would routinely collect native flora. In fact, the back of her car was an assortment of ferns and shrubs that grew on the bluffs above the cliff. The coroner, Mr. Edward Thompson Oram, on the 5th of April, 1940, would go on to deliver an open verdict, which confirmed that the death was suspicious, but he was unable to come to a cause for a reason for it. Aside from the ferns in the car, a parcel was addressed to her son James, now 18 years old and studying in Melbourne, and a letter from her daughter Anne, who was working as a nurse at the Goulburn District Hospital, not far from where I actually live. Nemo, who was previously on exercise in Armadale, which is close to a six-hour drive on today's modern highway infrastructure, and would have been considerably longer back in 1940, had travelled throughout the night on the discovery of his wife's car, only to arrive hours before her body was recovered, and was understandably devastated. The army, aware of this, and after allowing the man to grieve his wife's passing, posted him at the end of April to the position of General Staff Officer Grade 1 at Northern Command in Queensland, where he would be posted alongside fellow Staff Officer Colonel Gwynedd Purvis Wynne Aubrey Meredith. These stories keep getting connected. He would hold this post until the 19th of September 1941, 
when 48-year-old Robert Harold Nimmo would formally join the Australian Imperial Force for a second global conflict and would be assigned to the newly raised 1st Armoured Brigade forming in Greta, New South Wales, where he was promoted to the rank of temporary colonel to be the second command of the brigade. The three regiments assigned to the brigade underwent their individual training and eventually would join Nimmo in Greta in November in preparation for their deployment to North Africa in early 1942. The unit would be in Tamworth for full-scale training at the time when Japan entered the war, which would immediately shelve that plan. The 1st Armoured Brigade would instead be reallocated to the defence of Australia in the event of Japanese invasion. However, owing to the terrain of the islands in the South Pacific being unsuited for the kind of armoured warfare favoured by the Allies, the brigade would take no part in the war in any active capacity. I actually stumbled upon, a few years ago, footage of the armoured tests in New Guinea to prove the suitability of Sherman and Churchill tanks in the South Pacific, and I'll include it in the show notes and on the podcast social media channels, and to basically show that the terrain that Australia fought in the South Pacific was vastly different than the war being fought by American forces, who actually did manage to make extensive use of tanks in their campaign. On the 10th of January, 1942, Nimmo was promoted to a rank of temporary brigadier general and was posted to command the 4th Cavalry Brigade, which at the time was a militia unit. He reported for duty at Brigade Headquarters in Goulburn on the 24th. The 4th Cavalry Brigade was tasked with defending the New South Wales coast south of Port Kembla. The following month, Nimmo would marry Miss Mary Dundas Page of Brisbane in a quiet ceremony at All Saints Church, Woolara, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. On the 29th of March, Nimmo's son James would enlist in the Royal Australian Air Force and was involved in the Empire Air Training Scheme in November. While still in command of the 4th Brigade, on the 1st of June, Nimmo would also be appointed to the post of aide-de-camp to the Governor-General of Australia, Alexander Hoare Rothman, the 1st Earl of Gowrie. His appointment to the 4th Brigade would come to an end on the 27th of July, with a brief detachment to No. 6 Royal Australian Air Force Army Corporation School in Canberra, finishing on the 3rd of August. Three days later, he'd be assigned to the headquarters once more of the 1st Armoured Brigade, now in Western Australia. September would see Nimmo in command of the 1st Australian Motor Division in Gympie, which was a covering force on the coast from Bundaberg to Calandra. Eventually, he would end 1942 in the headquarters of the 3rd Armoured Division. 1943 would see Nimmo once again in the general staff of the 3rd Australian Corps, the unit responsible for the defence of Western Australia, while 1944 would see him cross the country to be posted to the staff of the 2nd Army, which was primarily responsible for fixed defences and all Allied troops stationed in New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria. In April, Nimmo's world would be rocked once more when pilot officer James Andrew Harold Nimmo, pilot of Lancaster ND420, crashed on a return flight following a mining operation off the German and Polish Baltic shores when the aircraft was intercepted by German night fighters. Much like the death of his first wife, it appears that Nimmo faced the death of his firstborn with stoic determinism. He would stay with the 2nd Army until the 10th of September 1944, when he was transferred to the General Staff of Northern Territory Force, based in Darwin. He would rotate between these two forces until his appointment of Administrative Command of Northern Territory Force from the 28th of October 1944 till the 26th of February 1945, before he eventually flew to Turukina in the island of Bougainville 
in New Guinea on the 14th of March, where he would serve as part of the headquarters of 4th Australian Base Sub-Area. On the 23rd of April, Nimmo would welcome his third child, a daughter Catherine, who would be Mary's first. The following month, he would leave Torikina and arrive in Leh, and serve in the headquarters for the 1st Australian Army, where he served as Deputy Assistant and Quartermaster General in the headquarters of Lieutenant General Vernon Sturdy's 1st Army, a position he held until the 29th of September, when he was appointed to command the 34th Brigade, which was slated to form part of the British Commonwealth Occupation Force, or BCOF, in Japan at the end of the war. In that time, from the 1st of June to the 31st of July, he was once again aide-de-camp to the Governor-General of Australia. Robert Nimmo would end the Second World War as the commanding officer of the 34th Australian Infantry Brigade on Moratai in the Netherlands East Indies, and between the 10th to the 22nd of December 1945, he routinely travelled to Japan to reconnoitre the area where the brigade would be deployed as part of Bikoff, before taking leave back to Australia between the 3rd and 11th of January 1946. The 34th Infantry Brigade was to become the first full-time formation of the newly created Australian Regular Army. During this time, the brigade was still awaiting orders to take part in its occupation of Japan. However, the end of the war presented a new challenge for Nimmo, a commander being faced with a brigade of restless soldiers. In January 1946, Australian soldiers based on Moritai were being told that they would only remain in New Guinea for a short period of time before redeploying to Japan, the reason why so many of them volunteered for the force. However, over the ensuing weeks of remaining on Moritai, boredom set in and rumours amongst the Australian soldiers began circulating. These rumours included speculation on when American General Douglas MacArthur would send the Australians to Japan. Another, and more worrying rumour, was that Japanese prisoners were infected with syphilis and this further inflamed the situation with the restless Australians, as these prisoners were known to be using the same latrines as the Australian sources. This was culminated in the Australian forces staging a mutiny parade to outline their frustrations and present their demands for a change of command. The Australian soldiers had chosen a senior non-commissioned officer to present their demands to Nimmo, and when the soldiers paraded before the headquarters, they actually discovered that Nimmo was in Australia attending meetings at the time. So the attempted mutiny was not successful. But on Nimmo's return to New Guinea, he was made aware of the discontent amongst his soldiers and informed of the parade that occurred in his absence. Nimmo expressed a grave concern in what had happened during his absence, and though what could only have been a calculating move to quickly control the threat of mutiny within his command, Nimmo summoned the senior non-commissioned officer who had led the parade. And instead of arresting the ringleaders or charging the architects for what was essentially a mutiny, Nimmo showed the leadership that would serve him in the future. As the non-commissioned officer who led the parade said, I'd never seen him before, but the moment I clapped eyes on him, I knew that it would all would be well. Humanity and intelligence, his face said, blue eyes, brown face, white hair, quiet and unhurried confidence in his tone, he discarded preamble and launched into the business at hand. The NCO proceeded to inform Nemo of his personal concerns, as much as anyone else in his command, by the conditions faced by the Australian soldiers on Moritai, in addition to the rumours that were circulating about the future of the brigade. The NCO further explained that he had been, in fact been approached by other soldiers to lead the parade to Nimmo's headquarters, and had explained to Nimmo himself that he had settled down to a protest pending his return to his command. Again, in the NCO's own words, I didn't know what to expect, but you could have knocked me over with a feather when Nimmo agreed with me. I was even more surprised that he thanked me for what I had done. On the other hand, 
I wasn't at all surprised to be among the assembled lesser brass in the opening gambit, soared up with all the verve of a lead balloon. Nemo quickly got to the point, asking the NCO if he knew of anything else that the men were still worried about, which would not have been brought up during the course of the discussion. The NCO raised the concern that Japanese prisoners were using the Australian soldiers' latrines and the fact that the soldiers did not like it. Nemo quickly saw about fresh latrines to being prepared for the prisoners. He subsequently mentioned to the NCO on his departure that in the future, if he had something that he believed should be discussed, that he should not worry about the usual channels and report it directly to him about the problems. Shortly after this episode, in February 1946, Nemo was to lead his brigade in their redeployment to Japan as part of the British Commonwealth Occupation Force and would comprise one-third of all Commonwealth forces in Japan. The Australian contingent of the multinational Beekhoff was focused around Nemo's 34th Brigade, which was sent to Japan to assist with Japanese reconstruction. Beekhoff had its area of control in southern Japan, centred around the port of Kure, which included the devastated Hiroshima. Nimmo's role in Japan, which would have been an invaluable learning experience for the future he would engage in, and in what we now would consider peacekeeping operations. This included keeping the Japanese population under surveillance for any signs of resistance or disaffection, guarding facilities against possible attack or sabotage, repatriating thousands of Japanese soldiers while concurrently returning thousands of Korean nationals home, BCOS mission further included the major task of locating and taking over all Japanese military installations and supervising the destruction of huge quantities of unused ordnance and weaponry. Three months after Nimmo led his brigade to Japan to be part of BCOF, he was recalled to Australia in May 1946 on promotion to the rank of Major General. Nimmo was made General Officer Commanding Northern Command located in Brisbane. On the 30th of June, 1947, his secondment to the 2nd Australian Imperial Force ceased with the unit's disbandment, and he was attached to the new Interim Army with the army number of 1-1. On the 1st of October, 1948, Nimmo was appointed to the substantive rank of Major General within the Australian Staff Corps. Despite being well into his 40s, he continued to play sport, representing the Army in cricket match against the United Services Institute team in Brisbane in 1949. On the 8th of June, 1950, Nimmo was appointed to the post of Commander of the Order of the British Empire, CBE. The citation read, Major General Nimmo has been commissioned for over 35 years in the Australian military forces. He has given outstandingly loyal service and has been a leader not only in his profession, but also in many sporting activities. During the 1939-45 war, he served with distinction both as a commander and as a senior staff officer, and was selected to command the 34th Infantry Brigade when it was raised for service in Japan at the end of 1945. He commanded 34th Infantry Brigade with distinction and in June 1946 was selected as General Officer Commanding, Northern Command, and promoted to Major General. By his practical approach to problems and the high regard in which he is held by all classes of the community, he has proved himself an able and efficient commander. That November, Nemo had reached the age of retirement for his rank. However, those thoughts were short-lived. In a place unknown to Nemo, a disputed province between the newly independent states of India and Pakistan, called Kashmir, would be the catalyst for Nemo's finest hour as a military commander and the site in which he would set the unsurpassed precedent of being the longest-serving United Nations military observer in history. And that is where we're going to leave Nemo at this point.
Next time on the podcast will be the stunning conclusion of the life, service, and legacy of the United Nations' longest-serving peacekeeper. But before we go, I have another podcast recommendation. This time, I'm recommending the Australian Histories podcast. It's a podcast that, much like my own, aims to have a fresh look at history from the Australian perspective by not going through a chronological structure. Instead, Jenny goes on a themed adventure, pointing out interesting points of history through research. And much like the military history podcast I recommended last time, Jenny has covered the Emu War, though she did cover it from an economic standpoint, not a military one. And the link to it is in the description. And until next time, see you around. Thanks for listening to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, a Doc Network production. This episode was written, produced, and audio engineered by me, Russ Manuel, with additional research done by Laurie Favell. I'd really appreciate it and it would help out the show if you took some time to share this with a friend or leave a review on Spotify or Google Podcasts or iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts as it really helps other people find the show. If you want to know more about today's episode with photos, show notes and transcripts, head to www.thedocnetwork.net and follow the show on IWODMJ on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Don't worry, there's a link in the show notes. If you want to follow me for history-related hijinks and other nerdery, you can follow me on practically everything at Doc Winters. Once again, thanks for listening and catch you next time. Bye.